You ever get tired of your just boring day-to-day life? I do. I should say I did. Then I decided to do something about it. Conventional wisdom says you live your life, you grow up, your parents die, they leave an inheritance for you. That wasn't working for me. I wanted to enjoy that inheritance now, so I decided to do something about it. So one day, I walked straight up to my dad, looked him square in the eye, and I said, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. At that moment, all I could think of was, I'd like to give what's coming to him right now. But he's my son, and I love him. And as much as it put an ache in my heart, I gave him the money, and I told him that he could go search for a life on his own. Not long after that, he packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. The friends, the food, the clothes, it was, it was great. Until my son's money ran out around the same time the country hit a recession. It was bad. Really bad. I'd squandered everything my dad had given me, and uh, I didn't have anywhere to live, anything to eat. So it was... Hunger pains is a constant reminder of how I'd squandered my life away. I, I lived in agony day after day. After day after day, I would watch and I would wait. And my heart would ache as only a heart can from a parent to a child. But hear me on this. I never once gave up on my child. I knew that he would come back one day. One day it hit me. I realized my dad's lowliest worker was living like a king compared to me. So I had an idea. See, I would go up to him and, and I would humbly just ask him for a job. I, I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son, but maybe he would give me a job, just maybe. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting there on the porch, just enjoying the cool breeze. And that's when I saw him. He stood up. He, he looked in my direction and he squinted his eyes to kind of get a better look at me wondered if he would take me back and then my dad jumped off the porch you know what I did next? I ran I've never seen him run so fast he, he, he was like he was like this kid who was excited about something and then and then I realized He was excited about me. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. He was running at me with his arms stretched out as if to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. And as I got closer to him, I could could see tears in his eyes. My dad was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my boy did next? He jumped. (laughs) I couldn't help it. I, I jumped right into my dad's arms, and you know what he did? Well, I fell backwards. He's a big boy. He held me. He held me like only a father could. I just kept saying to him over and over again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son. My son is home. Get him some clean clothes. Get him some shoes for his feet. Let's prepare a meal. No. No. 
Let's prepare a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. Today we will celebrate, for all my hopes have come true. I guess so. I guess it was hope. Hope that kept me going all those days. Hope that my father would show me mercy. Hope that somehow he would take me back and that I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It is all forgiven. It is forgotten. And I will never bring it up again. There is no anger. There is no shame. There is no blame. All that's left is just pure joy. For my child was lost. And now he's found. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is John, and I'm part of the leadership team here at King's. Uh, And that was a really great retelling of that story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And that's the story that the whole of this Finding God series is based upon. And uh, if you've been joining us particularly for the Finding God series, I just want to say thank you for sticking with us, for coming back uh, week after week. And also, if you're joining us for the first time today, big welcome to you and thank you for tuning in. Now, I remember when I was very young, maybe six or seven years old, that kind of age, and I was playing at a friend's house, and we were playing out in the garden, and then we would come inside to play and then go back out again and then back in and dragging mud into the house and all that kind of thing. And it got to the point where her mum, my friend's mum, said, look, either play outside and stay out there or play inside and stay inside. Just don't keep coming in and out. So we thought about it and we decided we wanted to play outside. So that's what we did. Now, needless to say, five minutes later, we got bored with playing outside and we wanted to come in. But of course, we didn't want to incur the wrath of her mum. And so I had an ingenious idea, really was an amazing idea. We went round to the front of the house and I, I reached in through the letterbox to try and open the front door so that we could sneak in, get up the stairs to play inside without anybody knowing we were there. There were two big problems with this. The first problem was I couldn't quite reach. I couldn't quite reach the latch, the, the, the handle to open the door. But then the second and more significant problem was that I now couldn't get my arm out uh, it, it, it was stuck. It was in over the elbow joint, and it was, it was completely stuck. Now, the sensible thing to do would have been to send my friend to get help. But I guess I was a bit embarrassed. My pride had taken a, a, a knock because my ingenious plan to get in had failed. And, uh, well, I wanted to get out of this myself. And to be honest, I was a little bit scared of the reception that I might receive on asking for help. So, I tried twisting and, and turning and, and, and pulling to try and to try and get my arm out, but it was completely stuck. And I I vividly remember the thoughts that were going through my, my six or seven year old mind at that time. Vividly remember the thoughts. I thought that I was gonna be there for the rest of my life. And so whenever whenever anyone opened the front door, I would have to I would have to move with it and then move back when it, when it closed and that people would have to, have to bring me food. And so, so I started to get a little bit panicky, uh, a little bit tearful, just wondering how am I going to get out of this, but still retaining the stubbornness of not asking for help. 
Now, of course, eventually it, it, it was noticed that there was an arm sticking through the letterbox, and with the help of a bit of butter, I was soon released from my captivity. But I don't think it's an uncommon trait to resist asking for help, that, that we can find ourselves in situations in life and you know, sometimes serious situations where we're stuck and we really need help, but there's something in us that, that kind of wants to have it all together. We, we don't want to ask for help. We want to do it ourselves. Now, we're in the middle of this five-week series where we're looking at five different aspects that we can draw out of that story of the prodigal son that we just heard very creatively told. And help is the aspect that we're looking at today, but there is a progression to these five aspects. And so in the first week, we talked about the aspect of longing, longing, and how it was a sense of longing for more, that that feeling that there's got to be more to life than this, that led the younger son to this distant country looking for fulfillment in in a particular lifestyle. And we established that actually we all have deep longings. There are There are universal longings that every human being has for uh, love, for purpose, for meaning in life. And we all live with unfulfilled longings when we realize that the thing that we thought would bring us lasting happiness actually turns out to not quite deliver what we thought. It doesn't bring that ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction that we were looking for. We're still left wanting more, that, that feeling there's something missing in life. So, for example, getting into that relationship is great, really, really exciting, but it doesn't completely satisfy. And having a family is great, but it doesn't completely satisfy. And getting to the top of your career is great, but the question is, what next? It doesn't completely satisfy. The longing is still there. Because, and this is what we said in that first week, because the longings that we have are God-given longings. And they're there to point us to our need of him, the fact that we have these longings, we have these desires, point to the reality that there's somewhere these desires can be fully met. And the longings and the needs that we have can only be fully met in a relationship with God. That's how we were designed. Nothing else in this world will bring that lasting satisfaction that we're looking for. So that was the aspect of longing. Then last week was all about the aspect of regret, that, that sometimes we come to a point of wishing that we could do things differently, just like the son in the story did. That we could do things differently, maybe that we could start over when we experience the disappointment of unfulfilled longings, when, when that feeling of there's got to be more to life becomes much more acute. And when we experience that regret, it's like we come to a crossroads where we can go in one of two directions. So we can get stuck We can get stuck in a cycle of longing and regret, longing and regret, where we look for happiness in something, whether that is your career or a family or a relationship, whatever it might be. We look for longing in something. We look to fulfill that longing. We find, actually, that over time, it doesn't really deliver what we had hoped, and we experience disappointment and regret. But we then look to fulfill that longing in something else, which then leads again over time to disappointment and regret when we realize that this thing doesn't satisfy either. And it's a repeating cycle. And that shows itself in different ways in, in different people's lives. For so, so for some, it can lead to addictive behavior, like with gambling or alcohol, drugs, and pornography. For others, it might be something like shopping or running up credit card debts or comfort eating. For others, it might be escapism, living your life through Facebook or Instagram or watching films, sport, uh, binge-watching Netflix, 
but always then having to come back to reality. For others, it might be relationships, and you just get into relationship after relationship after relationship. We can get caught in this continuous pattern of searching for fulfillment on our own terms, but actually finding disappointment each time, thinking this time it will be different. This, this is the thing that will make me happy, but it doesn't. And so the choice we face at this crossroads when we experience that regret, when we realize that we are still living with unfulfilled longings, that even though we might have everything we want, family, friends, money, a good career, comfort, we might have everything we want, but we still want more. And we feel there's got to be more to life than this. The choice we face at that crossroads is either to keep going in that cycle that I just described or to find help to break out of that cycle. And as I said before, that is the third aspect we're looking at today, help. And this really is the game changer. This is, this is where we can find a whole new direction in life. In the story in Luke 15, in the Bible, it tells us that this younger son came to his senses. He, he, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He came to his senses and he decided to turn his life around. Last week, we talked about the biblical word for that, which is repentance. The realization that we're going the wrong way, that the direction we're heading in is taking us away from God and all the good he has for you. But but repentance not only has the meaning of turning around, but also moving in a different direction, going back where you belong. Now, the son in the story, he not only came to his senses, came to this point of realization, decided he needed to turn his life around, and that's a point I'm sure many of us have found ourselves at at different times. But unlike many of us, who will then often fall back into the same patterns, back into that cycle, he did something about it. He went for help. So verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father. He took action. He did something decisive. He got up and went to his father. He went home. And for us, repentance is the same thing. It's the decision to return to the father, to return home. It's the realization that I I can't do this on my own. I can't find fulfillment by myself, that actually I need help to get my arm out of this letterbox and live a full life. And the prayer that's associated with this third aspect in our 30-day challenge that we've talked about over these last couple of weeks, the prayer associated with it is, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Show me how to turn towards you for help. Show me how to turn towards you for help. And later on, I'm going to create a moment to give you the opportunity to do just that, to turn to God for help if you feel that's right for you today, to change direction, the opportunity to start running towards God and return home. Now, before I carry on, we're going to hear another one of our real-life stories from someone here at King's of how finding God has transformed their life. So let's hear from James. I grew up in a Christian family, going to King's as a child. At the age of five, I invited Jesus into my life. But in my secondary school years, I began to turn my back on church. I started smoking marijuana with my friends which quickly turned into a daily habit. 
By 16, I was going to illegal raves all over the country and taking as many drugs as I could get my hands on. For a while, it felt like I'd found what I was desperately looking for, a place to belong with a community of people I could relate to. In my own way, I was still searching for God. I tried Rastafarianism mainly because it fitted with my marijuana habit. I believed I could get closer to God through smoking weed. It didn't take long before my life was a complete mess. I'd opened myself up to so many wrong influences and sin. I became extremely paranoid and confused. I was in a dark and lonely place where I didn't feel I could trust anyone, not even my parents. I got to a point where I hated life and I'd stay in bed as long as possible. I was angry with the world and really didn't see any life for me. Then in 2005, at the age of 18, I moved to Battelle, a Christian rehab community. Over time, I began to be challenged by what I saw around me. Ex-addicts, drug dealers, gangsters, quite nasty people, all having their lives completely changed, and loving and serving each other in community. It made me question what was happening to them. There were no replacement drugs at Battelle, no self-help steps. The main help they offered was the gospel, the truth about God, and it was changing people's lives. I put all my energy into seeking to know if Jesus was real, and if so, how I could know him personally. I cried out to God, asking him to change me and set me free. It was only as I started to seek God that I realized the darkness I was in and how bound I was by fear. This was a time of spiritual conflict and it was like the darkness didn't want to let go of me. But I encountered God powerfully and he set me free. He forgave my sin and gave me a hope and a future. In the two and a half years I was at Battelle, I saw God change many people's lives. I'd watch them come in the door looking half dead and within a relatively short time come to life again. Left Battelle 13 years ago and since then I can honestly say that God has been faithful and blessed me beyond what I could have imagined. I have a beautiful wife and four beautiful children. I have my own business too, and I've seen God's help and provision every step of the way. It's been hard at times, but he's been teaching me how to trust him to make a way even when it doesn't seem possible. I've never looked back, and my past now seems like a distant memory. Now, I want to help others to know God's love and provision. With my wife, either, I've run the night shelter, at King's, providing a meal and a bed and support for people who are homeless. We help lead our King's Table outreach, providing community and dignity for people with addictions. People from all walks of life, I know that God has a huge heart for these people and he wants to help them out of the ruts they're in. We just try to love people, but it's God who really helps them. 
It's God who changes lives. My passion is to see God's kingdom come and for him to set others free, to change other people's lives like he's changed mine. Well, what an amazing story, isn't it? It's just a fantastic story. But maybe you listen to, to a story like that or the stories we've had over these last couple of weeks and, and you think, well, I don't have a story like that. You know, my, my life's pretty ordinary, really. In fact, my life is not so bad. Well, neither do I. I don't have a story like that. I never got into drugs or that downward spiral in the same way, and, and most of us don't. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, and Rich emphasised it last week, This church is full of stories. You're tuning in with hundreds of others who have stories, and the stories are all different. It's people from all sorts of different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different different backgrounds, different pathways through life. But the one thing that many of our stories have in common is the life-changing, transforming discovery of the real and personal love of God. That is James' story, and that's my story. You see, the point is not how dramatic or undramatic your story is. The point is who you find when you turn around. James found a God of love who accepted him completely, even with all of his baggage. But this is the father that we see in the story. This is the father that Jesus describes to us. He tells us that as the son turns around, as he makes his way home, verse 20 says, while he was a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Jesus is telling us what God is like. He's telling us the kind of reception that you receive when you come home to him, to God the Father, that there doesn't need to be any fear of whether or not he he will accept you. You know, that this isn't like having your arm stuck in a letterbox and worrying about what your friend's mum is going to say. No, this is the God who waits for you. This is the God who runs to you. I mean, you know, this son, he would have been shunned by the village. He would have been utterly rejected for what he did. He would not have expected a good reception. And probably his father would have had people in his ear, people telling him to forget about that waster. You know, he should be dead to you after he insulted you like that. Just move on. Stop thinking about him. But this father didn't care about any of that. He just wanted his son home. And so he watched day after day after day. He was watching, just hoping to catch a glimpse of him. Maybe this is the day he'll come home. And when he sees him, he runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. This is the God who waits for you. When we can admit that we can't do this on our own, when we can admit that we need help, when we take a step towards God, This is how he responds. This is the God you'll find, the God who runs to embrace you, no matter what you've done with your life up to this point. The God who accepts you, the God who gave everything to have you, the God who rejoices over you. Now, this picture of a father running to his son, it reminds me of an iconic moment involving the British athlete Derek Redmond and and his dad. And some of you will remember this, some of you will have seen this, But Derek Redmond was running in the 400 metres in the 1992 Olympics. And he had had all sorts of injury problems leading up to the Olympics. But everything seemed to have come together for this moment, for this time. And he was running really well. He was in with a good chance of a medal. And he got to the semi-final. Let's have a look at what happened. 
See, Derek Redmond's dad helped him finish the race. And I just think it's a great picture of a father who runs to help his broken son. It's a great picture of what God is like. But we don't just learn about God from the father in this story. We also learn about God through the storyteller. Because in Jesus, we see the guarantee, the absolute guarantee of God's love in the cross. We see that he's not some remote out there God who who doesn't care, but a God who is present among us, a God who's active and relational and who longs to be close to us. So much so that God himself entered into our world. He entered into our mess, coming as one of us, not just to, to be with us, but to die for us to die in our place, to pay the debt that we owed God, that we could never, ever pay back ourselves in a million lifetimes. He died to make it possible to to even ask for help, to be able to get up and go to our Father, to make it possible to return home to God. He gave his life so that we could have life and have it to the full. In Jesus, we see a God who is present and who promises never, ever to leave us on our own. We see a God who's full of grace, refusing to condemn us, even when it's utterly deserved. We see a God who is humble, who comes down to our level at great cost to himself to care for us and rescue us. And we see a God who is so for us, sacrificing himself when we were helpless to save ourselves. This is the God who waits for you. And this is the God who runs to you when you repent and you turn towards him. So maybe for you, today is the day to do that, to repent and turn towards God. It might be that you've taken up that challenge of, of the 30 day wager on God that we've been talking about, praying, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And that's exactly what he's been doing. Maybe you haven't been doing that at all, but you feel God calling you anyway. Maybe you feel like you've been in that distant country, chasing after a lot of different things, trying to meet the longings for love and purpose and meaning that you have within you, but just left dissatisfied, left with disappointment and regret. Maybe you're hesitant to come back from there, either because pride keeps you from admitting that you can't do it on your own, or maybe even a sense of shame, knowing where you've been and what you've done. Let me make something very clear. You can never be too far away from God. You can never have done too much. You can always come home to him. Why? Because there's this father scanning the horizon, watching out for you. One who took every bit of the shame of our sin on himself on the cross. He took it from you and he longs for you to return. When you step towards him, he runs to you. So let's take a moment now to reflect and to respond. Is God calling your name today? Is it time to turn to him and put your life completely in his hands, to open yourself up to receiving his saving and transforming love? And that might be for the very first time. For others, it may feel like you've drifted away from God and and you just know it's time to come home, time to turn around and come home. So if that's you, if you know this is a moment for you to respond to God, I'm going to invite you to pray with me in a moment. I will pray a prayer. Uh, I'll pray a line at a time and you can repeat each line after me 
if you want to respond to God this morning. And then for the rest of you who are watching now, just please be praying now for all those who are praying this prayer. So if you want to respond to God, just pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I turn to you for help. I ask you to forgive my sins. Jesus, save me and make me new. Thank you that you died for me on the cross to bring me freedom. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Amen. Amen. Now, for those who responded and prayed that prayer, uh, I mean, first of all, well done. Well done. It's, it's, it's great news. It is the best thing that you could ever have done. But it is really important to now talk and pray with someone. And that might be someone you already know in the church. It may be the person who invited you to watch this. But also, if you're watching this live, we have an online prayer room with a prayer team who would love to pray for you. And Ida will direct you towards that prayer team in a minute, as well as any other next steps that will be helpful for you. Uh, So I just want to finish by saying thank you so much for listening today. Um, Be blessed. And I'm going to hand you back over to Ida now.